You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Amen. Hey friends, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio and I'm the other pastor here at City Church of Long Beach. Um, and it's, it's just really good to be together this morning. Uh, and we get to talk this morning about um, a passage that I'm really I'm really excited about it. I mean, even I think, um, you know, sometimes there are, there are things that happen, little moments, and you kind of store them up, right? Like, man, I don't know where, especially as a preacher, right? Where you're just like, someday, someday I'm going to get to like, try and explore this. I'm going to get to talk about it with a bunch of other people and say, hey, I don't totally get this, but it struck me. And man, I just want to chew it over with you. So this is one of those mornings for me where I get to share with you a, a little story and say, yeah, let's, let's work on this together. Um, so a couple of years ago, I uh, was at a little conference type gathering uh, with a couple of friends uh, here from City Church, and we were hearing some different speakers. And the idea was, you know, that we would hear the speakers and then be given opportunities to kind of turn to each other and, and have some great conversation about these speakers, uh, some of them very, very well known. So at a certain point in this evening, uh, a very Christian famous speaker, uh, you know, maybe not in the whole wide world, but in Christian circles, right, this Christian famous speaker named Francis Chan began to, to speak. Uh, and some of you may have heard of Francis Chan before. Um, some of you may not. You know, Christian famous people are not on your radar, and that's completely cool. Um, I, I kind of came into Francis Chan beginning to speak with a lot of good vibes overall. Like one of the stories that I remembered that was sort of in the back of my mind as he started to talk was um, this sense of at a certain point, as he was sort of hitting the height of his sort of Christian famous celebrity, uh, he had this big mega church uh, up actually in California uh, that he preached at. Um, he actually suddenly decided to leave the church because it occurred to him that being Christian famous was probably not very good for his own soul. And he was kind of thinking it might not actually be that good for his church either, that it might not actually be a good thing that his church was built so much around his own charisma, right? And this sense of people just wanting to come and to lean in and to learn from him. And so he gave it all up and he went, and I think he was in China for a while doing some work and, and then he'd come back and he'd started this, these small networks of churches. And I thought it was a kind of cool story, right? So when he starts talking and he starts really just kind of deconstructing the American evangelical church, there's this part of me that was just going, yeah, I am there with you, right? Like I'm, I'm just resonating as he's talking about the American evangelical churches. You're very consumeristic and passive. And for me, the phrase that plays a lot of the time is this sense that we have an evangelical industrial complex, right? And so I'm just, I'm listening and I'm going, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so I resonate with this critique that he has of the church and how, how passive it can be. Because that doesn't look like the way of Jesus, right? As, as I know it, the Jesus that I want to follow. And he continues, you know, and, and he's talking about his own church, this little network of churches that he's involved in now. And, and he's just so happy to be in this, this small, completely unimpressive little cluster of churches 
um, feeling like, yeah, we're, we don't have the numbers, but, but neither did Jesus, right? And, and maybe that's okay. And maybe it's okay, you know, that, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of hard following Jesus for real. And, and that's all right, because, but, you know, if we're, if we're in it and we're loving each other well, and isn't that really what Jesus was calling us to do? And, and again, there's a big part of me going, yeah, I resonate with that. Hey, City Church, City Church is kind of like that. Some of you haven't actually, you know, had a chance to worship with us in person, but we're just as impressive in person as we are online, which is to say not at all right? Like, I mean, we're just, we're not, there's no designer coffee that the coffee we serve is made with love, you know, um, and we meet in a, a little auditorium. I mean, it's just not fancy, right? We're not big and we're not fancy, but we actually want to do this following Jesus thing. And so he's talking about his church and they're actually trying to do it. And they're trying to love people on the margins and, and do it in really sacrificial ways and lean into this whole renewal of all things that we too are all about and I love it, right? So here's the problem though, or the part where I'm going, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Is that for him, the solution and, and what he wants to see churches begin to do is to lean more into some tough love. He's really tired of seeing churches worrying so much about people's feelings. He wants them to, to start talking to people much more honestly about following Jesus and about God's wrath and about sin and about purity. And I mean, he's, he's going for it on this message. And I'm just uh, all around the table. I mean, I couldn't tell, I was, I was twitching during his message, I was starting to just like, oh, I was getting so up, I was getting upset. Uh, and then we, we had this conversation time afterwards and we're kind of looking at each other. And, um, you know, some of the people listening to him felt honestly kind of worried. Like, hey, at City Church, they don't talk that much about sin and about wrath and about purity. Are we missing something? Are we doing something wrong? And then others of us, like me, I was kind of mad because I'm going, well, the reason you're worried is because he used every shame triggering word in the book. And it, it kind of felt to me like there was this litmus test for spirituality that said, hey, every single word in the King James Bible, you know, <laughs> it has to be the King James Bible, apparently, you know, that you can, you can like share and speak that will induce some of these shame triggering feelings. Let's, let's do that. And I'm not saying that was his in, intention. I'm actually, I'm not necessarily questioning his heart motivation, but that was, that was what I experienced. It was very shaming, very shaming of our emotions. Um, so I, it was just an interesting thing to me. And it's a tension that I, I want us to get to explore together today. How is it that that we can have so much in common, that there is part of us that when we hear about this sort of like authentic following of Jesus, which yes, sometimes is gonna mean doing weird things. It's gonna be mean being really unimpressive, right? It's gonna mean living really sacrificially. How do we get there? Can we get there without that shame piece? And does it matter how we get there? 
I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys. And we're going to do that centered around um, a really short, but I think a really helpful story that Jesus told once. So our friend Raylene Pacheco is going to unmute and she is going to read scripture for us this morning. Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Raylene. Thanks, Raylene. Uh, thanks, Brenda Rubio. Uh, I totally appreciate you. Um, so, uh, so, so I'm that guy <laughs> that, that Brenda Rubio was just talking about. I was laughing with Brenda this morning because we were talking through the message that uh, at my old church, I was part of the pastoral team. And one Sunday, we just got so tired of people showing up late that we took a video of our early service of people coming in later and later and later and later. And we put it on time-lapse and then we sped it up. And then the next week we showed it to everyone, shaming them for showing up to church late. <laughs> this is so, is, is that just horrible? I see, actually, I see one friend who, was, who might've even been there that day and she's like oh bill i can't believe you did this to us i can't believe you still come to church today where i'm a pastor um but th this is what we do right religion is just so um it's so easy to use guilt and shame as motivators to get people to show up to give money to do things to serve in the church to serve the lord to do what you say when you are the one with authority. Um, and you know, one of the things that's made City Church, um, I think fun would be one of the things I would say, but that's also made it in some ways more challenging is that you know, Brenna and I have intentionally renounced the use of fear-mongering, shame and guilt as motivations, as, as means to an end, to get more people in church, to build the kingdom of God. And so when you surrender emotional manipulation, what happens is um, people are a little bit more who they are. And that's actually wonderful. And it's also challenging. You don't get to do as much behavior modification as you might like. And yet, there's this freedom. And for me, uh, I have this, I saw that Joe Hermita. <laughs> I can't believe he put that in the chat. Um, <laughs> I love that guy. There's this tension, right, between um, renouncing the emotional manipulation that sometimes goes with uh, being a church leader, and yet valuing the radical call of Jesus, right? Um, because Jesus here, I mean, it's this great picture of this, this pearl of great price that's worth everything. 
and to acknowledge that that our hearts need it. That's actually okay. It's actually really healthy. And we don't have to, I don't think there's a cringe factor there. And so how do you, you know, again, I'm trying to, to, to manage in my own self, the cringe factor with the commitment factor. Because so often when we call for commitment, we do it in unhealthy ways. Uh, Rachel Held Evans, who's one of my heroes, she says, uh, I'm a Christian because Christianity names and addresses sin. It acknowledges the reality that the evil we observe in the world is also present inside us. It tells the truth about the human condition. We are not okay. It's actually one of the beautiful parts of the Jesus story is that we actually have needs. We have weaknesses. We have areas of brokenness. And when we see that pearl of great price, it's worth everything. It's worth everything to, to find the kingdom of God. So this week, I, I spent time with a couple of friends. Uh, one in a series of text messages, the other having lunch outside of my backyard. And one of them was considering giving up a life of monetary success and career um, achievement and becoming a Christian. The other was talking about uh, leaving uh, gangs and drugs and some of the influences in his neighborhood. And both of them were, were looking at this pearl of great price. At, at the beauty of who Jesus is and, and what his kingdom is like. And, and one was, one has become a Christian and the other's thinking about becoming a Christian. And there's this newness, this freedom that, that so many of us have experienced that it actually is worth everything. It's worth everything. And how do we, call and invite people into this radical new life, uh, but do it without shaming, without threatening hell and using that as some sort of um, psychological weapon to get them to join your church, to build your numbers, to whatever it is. And so that's a tension I think that we hold. And I, I suspect that one of the ways around it is what we've been doing a little bit on this um, in this sermon series is looking at the text through some new eyes and, and losing a little bit of what we've come to expect as normal and finding God in new ways. And perhaps the, the simple binary that we've set up, you know, it's us versus the world. It's good versus bad. Maybe, maybe there's some different ways to view those, those ways of thinking through this very text that centers um, the pearl of great price. I really appreciate that, Bill. Um, it's actually kind of redemptive to hear 
in many ways that that's how I I've always tended to read the text, right? And yet, uh, and and the, certainly it's the way it's been taught to me. You know, Jesus is the pearl of great price. He's the one we give it all for. And yet, whether it's the different messages I've received, how I'm wired internally, you know, I I have always heard it with the shame and the guilt. And to go, so to be able to kind of say, well, maybe there's a way to to hear it differently. That's um, freeing. For me, as I was reading it um, over the last week or two, it was an interesting thought experiment, one that I hadn't really considered before to say, what if there were actually a completely different way to read it? And again, we're not saying that one way is right and one way is wrong as much as we actually think Jesus told stories for a reason. He told stories because they allow for a multiplicity of interpretations because they engage us in our imaginations and we get to say, what if, what if, what if? So a what if that I would love to bring to you guys this morning that say, what if Jesus is the merchant? What if we're the pearls of great price? You know, in scripture, it's always showing God on the move. God in pursuit of God's people. God is the one who just, he, God makes the move. God won't give up. God loves just too much to let go. And so can't we imagine Jesus as the merchant saying, I will find you. I will find you. No matter what it takes, I will find you. One of the reasons I think it may be hard for us to approach the story in that way is sometimes it's hard to see ourselves as having value. Because if Jesus is the merchant, then we're pearls of great price. We are worth it. We have deep, inherent value. I was thinking... Uh, one of my friends in particular, and really quite a few friends, but this one friend in particular uh, who we've known each other for several years now, and um, there are different phases in our relationship. And there are phases where uh, I hear a lot from her uh, and uh, we're connecting. And there are phases where uh, she goes where uh, she sort of disappears. And she may reach out occasionally um, just to say hi and, and then not respond again. I may reach out and not hear anything back from her. And this can happen for months at a time. And, and you know, I, I don't take it very personally with this friend because I know so much of her story. Um, and I know with how little value she was treated throughout her childhood. Um, she's a wonderful person. Uh, if any of you met her, uh, you would be impressed by just her warmth and her friendliness, um, her grit, uh, just her determination to love people around her well. Um, she, she's awesome and she's strong and she has persevered. She has triumphed uh, through a, a background history, you know, that is just every, every card in the deck stacked 
against her. And it just doesn't surprise me when she ghosts because I think it's really hard for her to believe that we're friends. Um, not that I'm anything all that special, right? But just to trust that she is loved, to trust um, that someone who has listened to some of her, her harder moments, uh, some of the more painful parts in her story would still care. Um, it's hard to believe that we are the pearls. And yet even that picture, the picture of a pearl, it's a picture of a beauty that comes through suffering. I actually had to refresh myself, you know, on uh, how pearls are formed. And maybe some of you too, right? Like you read some little book back in like grade school science and the details escape you now. Um, but you know, the way pearls are formed, they're oysters, mollusks of some kind, and, and they have a natural process for forming their shell. Mother of pearl, this beautiful um, substance that helps to form their shell. Then every once in a while, something gets inside, a little irritant, something that's not supposed to be there, a challenge, suffering. And the oyster deals with it by secreting that substance, that mother of pearl around the irritant. And it does it over and over and over again until we end up with this, this beautiful pearl, this, this wonderful little picture of a beauty that comes over time, the transformation of suffering into something of, of great price, of great value. And when I look at my friend, there's no doubt, I see a pearl. I see her worth, all that beauty and all that brokenness. And, and this is her life. This is just who she is. Um, and, and it's wonderful. And I wish she could see herself the way that I, as her friend, see her. There's this beautiful poem um, that uh, some of you may have heard before. Uh, the poet's name is Lucille Clifton. Uh, and for me, it's just a picture of this, this process, this reality that we're, we're all on the journey. We're all in process. Some of us undergoing even more challenges than others. Well, she writes, won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model, born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. This bridge between starshine and clay, this mix of beauty and brokenness and, and we're just becoming, we're in progress what it means to be a pearl. And so I just, I just imagine Jesus looking and saying, yes, I do see you. And I don't celebrate all that has tried to break you. I don't celebrate all that's tried to kill you, but I celebrate you. I see your worth. I see your value. And it's been there since the beginning. It's who you were created to be made in the Imago Dei, 
the image of God. It's what it tells us in, in John 1. Jesus came to his people. Jesus came. He did the moving. He did the work. And whoever wanted him believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said. Those who said yes, he made to be their true selves, their child God selves. That beauty was there all the time. And now I hear Jesus just saying, yes, I got you now. Rest a little while. I'll take it from here. So let that sink in, friends. She's talking about you. And in that passage, it, it talks about this merchant who went away and sold everything he had. Isn't that what Jesus did? He gave up everything he had, not even counting equality with God, something to be held on to. So he could come for you. You are the pearl. I think that's probably enough for us to think about for a long, long time. And I want to add to it because I, I don't know how we don't with this passage. That we get to be pearl hunters along with Jesus that every other person you see, this is who they are. Every other person you know. For me, this can be disorienting because it, it means I, it's, it, I can't do the us them thing anymore. The good, bad anymore. The in, out anymore, it, it's gone. Now it's the beloved people of God, everyone. It changes how we think, it changes how we live, it changes what we do with our money and our time and our attention. I, I had a funny moment this week when uh, there's a, we're having a food team gathering um, at my house, it's like the first gathering in a year, um, you know, because everyone on the food team, they're food handlers, so they've all been vaccinated. And so I clarified with our friend in public health, like, hey, can we do this? And like, yeah. And one of, uh, one of the people who's new to the team asked the question. She said, well, so um, it basically said something to the effect, well, it'll be nice to meet some of the church people you know, because it's a church team, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's a church team. But I mean, they don't go to church, <laughs> right? And, I, and I, I, I couldn't remember. I literally, it was this great moment for me, honestly. I was like, oh, hey, this is kind of nice. This is that freedom that I was mentioning earlier when we give up our binaries. I literally couldn't remember, like, do people go to church or do they not? I mean, it's a church team. I mean, we're caring for neighbors, delivering food each week and, you know, all this stuff. But, and I literally had to go through the list, like uh, these people actually come to church. These people don't. There's about half and half or something like it, but I just, 
it's just so nice. Just think it's actually just people. And yeah, they're all church people or none of them are church people. I don't, it doesn't matter. They're just people. <laughs> and it's this moment of celebration of realizing, no, we're, we're actually just, we're actually just the people of God, that God loves and that God seeks. Formed by suffering, formed by grace, and dearly beloved. That's who you are. That's who everyone is. And we get to uh, we get to live that way.